Welcome to Global Dispatches. I am your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this podcast, we discuss topical global issues and we go deep with foreign policy thought leaders and celebrities who discuss their life and career. As I'm recording this, international development leaders, finance ministers, and top officials from the UN in the private sector are heading to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia for the third international conference on financing for development. This conference has not gotten a tremendous amount of media attention, but it is a pretty big deal for most of the world, and the decisions and announcements made at this conference will have a profound effect on whether or not the world can rid itself of extreme poverty by 2030. So this is the third of these kinds of conferences. The first was in Monterey, Mexico in 2002, the second in Doha, Qatar in 2008. But this one is arguably more consequential than those prior conferences because the Addis meeting comes just months before the UN summit on the Sustainable Development Goals and before the big final climate talks in Paris in November. Here with me to put the conference in context and explain what official and unofficial outcomes might look like is Mintu Pham of the United Nations Foundation. And I'm so glad she's back on the show because she does an excellent job sorting through the jargon to explain the significance of this conference. We discussed the big points of convergence and contention between countries as they were negotiating the outcome document of this conference, and we have a deeper discussion about how this conference signals a profound shift away from thinking about international development as primarily driven by foreign aid. As always, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our archive, subscribe, get the iPhone or Android app. We post two episodes a week, so go to the website and check it out. Let me know what you think, and happy listening. And now here is my conversation with Mintu Pham of the United Nations Foundation. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And in 2015, there are three big moments. The first is this Financing for Development Conference, which will set out the how. In September, we'll have the big UN brouhaha here with uh, 170-some-odd world leaders uh, at a summit to agree on the Sustainable Development Goals, essentially the what of the agenda. And then uh, in December, we've got the big moment around the Climate Conference in Paris. And so those three things are essentially setting us up for being the first generation to end extreme poverty and the last generation to have to deal with climate change. And we're seeking to end extreme poverty by 2030. So the financing for development is how we're going to do that and laying out the framework for unlocking the kinds of financing that it's going to take 
to get there. And so who do we expect at this conference? Which I know is, is a very big deal for the United Nations. So I know like Ban Ki-moon will be there, but who among the member states and in, in, in the broader international development community do you expect to attend? Like what big names? So we've got the head of the World Bank, Jim Kim. We've got Christine Lagarde from the uh, International Monetary Fund. We've got the heads of all the main UN you know, agencies. And we've got Almost all, I think, at this point, of the heads of state and government in Africa, as well as a handful from other places, and a lot of finance ministers, a lot of foreign ministers, and a whole host of business leaders um, as well. So um, all converging in Addis to help figure out what the proper role of public finance is, the proper role of private finance and investors, um, a lot of NGOs also helping to put pressure on this, and it's helping to create the momentum and the drumbeat to September and then December. And my understanding is that on the American side, Jack Lew, the Treasury Secretary, is going to be leading the American delegation? That's right. Yeah, and actually that's really significant. So financing for development, because it's a UN conference, is often seen as being something that foreign ministers would be going, and it's usually led by you know, UN issues are usually led by the foreign ministries. And this time around, the Obama administration has made, I think, the really wise decision that because this is about financing, it really should be the finance ministry leading. And so they've uh, tried to make an example of it by saying, you know, this really should be the U.S. Treasury Department leading in the negotiations and coming up with um, the answers here. So they have Jacob Liu, and all along it's been mm -hmm. the U.S. Treasury Department leading those negotiations. Yeah, and that, in fact, and, it's and, helped... Uh... <laughs> and and Kerry might be stuck in Vienna at the Iran nuke talks, the way things are going. <laughs> I think that's definitely a consideration as well. Um, yeah. Okay, so the way that these big UN conferences work, you know, in my experience, there are kind of like two types of outcomes of these kinds of conferences. There's like the official outcome, which is encapsulated in an official outcome document that heads of state or finance ministers or, or whoever signs. And then there's the sort of unofficial outcomes uh, that are a consequence of having a lot of high-powered people focusing on a single topic in one place at the same time. So you'll probably see um, announcements around discrete issues around financing for development, say among public and public-private partnerships, or maybe the World Bank will make an announcement, that sort of thing. So I want to ask you about both those kinds of outcomes. The first is the official outcome. I know you're you're close to the official outcome document process, the negotiations. Mm -hmm. So we're speaking uh, just uh, a few days before the start of the conference. What do we know for sure is going to be in the outcome document that's of particular significance? Yeah, great. Great question. And, and maybe just to shift it a little bit, I would say there's three outcomes for these um, and the, the two that you raise. And I'd add a third one, which is the normative outcome. So UN documents and UN agreements help set a plan or a framework that all world leaders agree on in terms of the expression of their intent. So what are they shifting and changing in how we think about development finance? And so on that front, maybe to start there, is that this audit is supposed to launch a renewed and strengthened global partnership to demonstrate that all actors have a role to play. So it's not just going to be about aid, but it's about private finance. It's about how we unlock uh, tax issues, and there's a lot of funding that could be um, unlocked there, um, investment, as I said, and other catalytic things like infrastructure that you can start to unlock. So and that's, kind of that's different from before, from, from the, the Monterey 
meeting that happened in the uh, development of the Millennium Development Goals 15 years ago, right? This is a pretty big shift. Absolutely. So Monterey was largely about public finance and uh, country ownership. So if donors provide uh, aid, then countries will also take ownership of their own development and put in place the enabling environment for for um, use of that aid. Now we're looking at other uses of other types of finance and what the best uses of them are. And so private finance obviously is really important. How do we open up markets and grow our economies in a sustainable way? And that's not just going to be the role of aid. And I think that's a really important normative shift. And can so I ask, to your point... Can, uh, yeah. can I just ask you uh, another question on that is, is remittances, I mean, uh, which dwarf aid by, you know, like 20-fold even, you know, I, I saw a figure. Does the Absolutely. outcome document say anything about remittances and, and how those might be harnessed for development? Yeah, and, and that's a really great point. It's a, it is included in the document, and there's a, a discussion about how you make remittances, how you incentivize remittances more. So there's usually a transaction cost, and uh, in the outcome document, they've tried to uh, um, reduce the cost of transactions for remittances so that uh, more money gets to the right place as it's intended rather than in the processing. Um, and so that's a really important point. There's a few other things on tax and on other, but, but just to get to your questions about the official and the unofficial deliverables or announceables, mm -hmm. those are also in the document. So there's a normative issues that we just discussed. And then there's the, what are the deliverables in the document? And I'd say uh, right now there's an agreement for a new social compact that provides basic health, education, water, and energy for all. And this is really important because it gets at this leaving no one behind agenda and it gets us to how we pay for finishing off the MDGs. So that's first and that's in the document. Can you, can I, what is the leaving no one behind agenda? That is, so on the MDGs, when you look at numbers in the aggregate, often you're just, you're, you're targeting your efforts to the easiest to reach. And the most vulnerable populations, the people furthest out, um, the minorities and others uh, on the margins are often left behind. And so a big part of the post-2015 uh, uh, agenda is how do we actually get to those most vulnerable people? How do we make sure that we're leaving no one behind and that if we're saying we're going to achieve certain things, it can't be achieved until we actually reach all of those different parts of the population that are often ignored and overlooked. And so if you're talking about a new social compact that provides basic health, education, water, and energy for all, the for all part is really, really important. And finishing off the MDGs isn't just taking on the first half of poverty, but if you all have if you focus on getting to zero, you really have to reach those hardest to reach. Uh, so, so that's in the document. What you were about to say, a few other things that are of note yep. in the document. So there's uh, a commitment to increasing aid to the least developed countries. We know that uh, they have uh, the hardest time in, in attracting private investment and other things, so they need a lot of help. So increasing aid to, to at least developed countries. And I should There's say I have a, uh, another episode uh, of this podcast that uh, discusses this very specific issue of how most foreign aid doesn't actually go to the poorest countries in the world. And, and this document, the outcome document, seeks to remedy that. It does seek to remedy that, remedy that, but it also says that, you know, um, there are other ways to unlock financing that's not just about aid as well. And how do we help to open those opportunities up, including for least developed countries? That uh, you know, really, aid should be catalytic for those countries. 
it should help to unlock open uh, open other opportunities, but not just be about aid and you know distribution of wealth there. Um, I'd also say that the document has really great strong language on enhancing tax administration and improving transparency and effectiveness of tax systems. So what does that so mean? It means enabling countries to, to be able to uh, collect their taxes and broaden their revenue base. So if you look, for instance, at you know, what's happening in Greece right now, you really have, you want to make sure that the institutions are in place and the ca- capacities are in place to make sure people are paying for their taxes, paying their taxes adequately, that they're not uh, evading them, and that um, the uh, domestic public resources of that country are adequate to its needs. So like just the uh, there's a maybe, commitment. Is it sort of like helping countries in the developing world actually administer and collect taxes? Absolutely. So there's a commitment for that. There's a commitment to making sure that taxes are fair and that the collection is transparent and, and effective. Um, I think that's really important. And so that is in the document. Now on the unofficial side of that, I'm hearing that there will be some sort of an audit tax initiative that is announced unofficially. And, and by that, I mean, you can use the word unofficial, but it's, it's uh, what's outside of the document. So what's going to happen in the side event on the margins of audits that's announced. So I hear that a collection of donor countries are going to come together and announce they will commit to providing capacity building support, assistance to countries to help, developing countries to help them better collect their taxes, help improve their own tax systems. Um, I think that's really significant. Um, there's a few other things uh, that I think are really important in the document, including this notion of empowering girls and women and their full and equal participation in the economy. We know, and uh, the IMF uh, head often talks about this, we know that if we want our economies to, to thrive, we have to empower women and allow them to participate in, the, in their economies. And that is in there. Um, there's a commitment to investing in technology, science, and innovation, and data. Um, we know that progress is made because of technology and innovation, and how do we make sure that developing countries are able to benefit from that as well. Um, and there is an invitation to the private sector to engage and invest as partners in the development process. Um, I think you know that's absolutely critical. There's a lot of funding out there. This isn't just a charity agenda anymore. Mm-hmm. It's how do we make sure that all of our investments are working to um, to grow our economies in the right way. So, and uh, that invitation to the private sector. There's a business forum actually on the second day of the Audis conference that's fully committed to inviting the business sector and having them demonstrate the different ways that they're going to contribute to this so agenda. You, you're a veteran of these negotiations. I, you know, I've, I've followed many of them in, in my years of covering the UN, and they don't always go smoothly. There are often points of contention, and there are often familiar um, groups of countries that band together to p- push a particular agenda that other groups of countries are particularly perhaps not as interested in. So what are what are some of the big points of contention uh, in the negotiations leading up to this outcome documents, and where do the fault lines lie? Great question. There are uh, several fault lines. I think the overall narrative is the assertion politically of middle-income and emerging economies that um, it's not good enough for them for this agenda to be about the poorest or about charity, but actually how do we lift all boats up? How do we make sure that everybody's economies can grow? And what does that look like? If you take the trajectory of China, 
uh, that's not so that's not so sustainable. And if every country went that way, um, we may literally be toast in a few years. Mm-hmm. And so, how do we make sure that sustainable uh, development is really at the core of this? And what limits then does that place on emerging economies as they develop? And that's how has really that issue manifested question. itself in the negotiations? So there's a concept called common but differentiated responsibilities. It's a it's a principle that comes out of the environmental and climate negotiations, environmental law, um, that essentially says that um, previous polluters should pay more or should be more responsible for um, cleaning up than, you know, so the sort of polluter pays. Yeah, like and, the idea that the Europe and the United States are responsible for most of the carbon emissions historically, so they have a bigger responsibility in paying for the cleanup, right? Absolutely. And there are some countries who prefer to keep the idea of sustainability out out of the financing for development document. They want to allow financing for development, allow themselves to develop in their own ways without having to put um, uh, impose any sustainability principles on that. As a result, they said that if you want, if develop, if developed countries want to make this about financing sustainable development, then we need to include this concept of common but differentiated responsibilities. So how do you see this as potentially being resolved in time for the conference? I mean, so I, my understanding is that the developing world, by for the most part, probably wants that language in there, right? And, and the donor countries probably don't. Yeah, you know, so the, the language is currently in the document as it relates to the climate negotiations, and I think that's fine. This isn't a new debate. This has happened over and over and over again, at least for the last few years. And so I think the resolution of this is going to be some sort of language that they've probably used previously that they put into the document that makes everybody feel okay. Um, so I don't think there's kind of a substantive solution to this. I think all of that's going to have to evolve as we go through um, uh, time. I mean, it's it's not a new issue. But the idea that this should be about financing sustainable development, I think that is new. And it seems to me that the political winds are such that this is not just going to be a, a, you know, we develop however we want, but actually we've got to put some um, some uh, safeguards, uh, environmental safeguards into that. Um, so it's such politicized language, they'll probably find a way around it that'll be satisfactory to everyone. That phrase, it's, you know, has legal meaning to, uh, and so I think there's a solution there, but the concept is still being worked out and that will evolve. Have economists or, or, or international development experts in general put like a dollar peg on how much money will be required to implement all of the 17 sustainable development goals? That's a good question, and I have to say this is not – the Financing for Development Conference is not about how we pay for the sustainable development goals. No, everyone has agreed this is not a pledging conference. It's not a here's the price tag and this is how much we've, we've uh, collected to get there. Financing for development is to unlock all sources of financing. We know that technology and innovation will reduce costs, will create new opportunities, will allow us to do a whole lot more than we could with any, you know, with with uh, what we currently have. And so the price tag is really hard to get to. But this is also not just about financing the sustainable development goals. Um, the discussion about means of implementation and and support to the goals itself that is yet that's still happening in the post-2015 process. So um, financing for development is 
putting in place the policy frameworks to unlock all the different kinds of financing that's going to be required and, to, and how we transform all of our economies to getting in the right place. It's not a charity agenda of here's how much it costs and here's how much we have. Uh, so what are you looking forward to most about this conference, about being in Addis and, and uh, seeing what transpires? Yeah, I think it's really exciting to see world leaders coming together and showing their commitment to ending extreme poverty by 2030 and putting our economies on a sustainable trajectory. What are the incentives? What are the things that we have to do to make sure that we're sustainable and we, you know, and we safeguard the planet? Um, it's actually really exciting to see them uh, come together and commit to doing that and to laying the groundwork for doing that. We're still going to have a lot of work to do after this. The framework is there, the principles are there, and then the specific actions will have to come. So there's some of those, those actions, those deliverables that you mentioned that will happen on the margins of audits. I think we have to, over the next few months, be looking for those other deliverables. Some things are not ripe enough to be announced in audits. Some things will take a little bit longer. But just like um, in Monterey, there's going to be announcements that happen um, at other periods of time, too, in the spirit of the audit agreement. So I think, you know, looking forward to September um, will be important. And politically, audit uh, is the first is the first step for what we want to do this year. It's the first kind of test for multilateralism, and I think on that, um, it still remains to be seen, but I think on the whole, on this first test, we're doing pretty well in terms of how we internationally and collectively commit to something. September will be another test, and then, of course, December will be another test. Great. Well, Mintu, thank you so much. This was very helpful. Great. Thanks so much, Mark. Well, that was super helpful. Thank you to Mintu for speaking with me and helping put this in context. Like I said, this is a very big deal. This conference is very important and very consequential, yet it's gotten exceedingly little media attention, at least in the run-up to the conference. We'll see what happens when the conference unfolds. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. And as always, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or send me an email via globaldispatchespodcast.com. I'm working on some fun things for this podcast, guys. So stay tuned. We got a lot of great content in store for you. All right. See you later. Bye.